first, a word from our sponsor, Film Movement Plus, a streaming service for fans of independent and foreign film, delivers a world of award-winning entertainment, including some of the best movies from prestigious festivals around the globe. Among the hundreds of titles waiting for you to discover are acclaimed films you won't find anywhere else, plus newly restored classics and award-winning shorts with new films added every week. Available on all your favorite devices, including Roku, Apple TV, and Amazon Fire, Film Movement Plus is priced at $5.99 a month. But Watch With Jen listeners can get a 14-day free trial, plus 30% off their annual subscription using the promo code GEN30. And starting right now in the streaming service, you can read and watch my in-app film recommendations. It's a diverse and exciting lineup of six titles from around the world that I can't wait for you to discover. Sign up today at filmmovementplus.com. Hey, this is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and filmintuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. A film critic for publications such as LA Weekly, New York Magazine, Vulture, The New York Times, and formerly The Village Voice, Vilga Iberi is one of my favorite journalists working today. Additionally, a writer-director known for the films New Guy, Purse Snatcher, and The Barber of Siberia. I had so much fun chatting with him about legal thrillers last spring and was very eager to bring him back on. Vilga, thank you so much for doing this. It is a real honor. How are you doing and how's the year going for you so far? First of all, thank you for having me. Um, things are going great. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, maybe maybe I shouldn't say things are going great because things are going awfully all over the world. But, you know, I'm hanging in there, still yeah. alive, still employed. I mean, those are things that a lot of folks can't say. So, um, uh, you know, the things are okay. Yes. Considering with all the chaos going on, basically, is what we're yeah. saying. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you can you can you might be able to hear uh, my dryer in the background, which which might you know, you know it's going to be white if, noise for yeah. everybody. Like we're soothing you as we're talking okay, about film. Exactly. That's what we're doing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. it's all intentional. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think you're one of the best entertainment writers we have right now. I love your engaging, candid interviews and profiles, as well as your excellent analytical pieces. And I always look forward to reading your latest work. So with that in mind, do you have anything in the works right now that you have that might be dropping soon you would like to give us a sneak preview of? I'm trying to think. uh, Well, you know, anything, anything big that I have in the works, I'm probably not supposed to talk about okay yeah <laughs> um Don't but, do that. i mean there's there's nothing you know nothing super secret or anything like that nothing you know like groundbreaking but <laughs> um i'm looking forward to uh the spring movie season okay we're living through an interesting time right now because it's um you know the february march period has been um when a lot of smaller movies get released nowadays in part a lot of smaller international films because I think a lot of them sort of took this window as their release date in hopes that eventually they might land Oscar nominations and a number of films that were 
shortlisted for the best international feature for the past couple of months a number of those films have been coming out so it's actually like this yes. weirdly rich period for film releases even though obviously it, they're not all they're not being released all over the country necessarily new york it's like that i don't know if it is like that elsewhere yeah no it is true and it's they're starting to come out people are starting to finally hear about these movies and see them and yeah it's very exciting i think yeah well for our topic today we opted to go with a man we both love to watch and one with two brand new movies out now in the form of The Batman and After Yang. We're talking, of course, about the charismatic Irish character actor Colin Farrell, who has a unique ability to charm and disarm as a handsome leading man and also fully disappear into his roles in the films we selected, including Phone Booth, The New World, Miami Vice, In Bruges, and The Lobster. We'll go deeper into these films one by one in just a moment. But before we do that, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Bilga, on why you think Colin Farrell is such a captivating presence on screen and why audiences continue to find him as much or if not more compelling today as they did over 20 years ago when his career began. That's a big question. Uh, as far as Colin Farrell is concerned, I think, I think well, it's a combination of things. Certainly. Yeah, as you know, about 20 years ago or however long it was, um, you know, Hollywood was really trying to turn him into a leading man. Yeah. And he certainly has leading man looks. I mean, he is mm -hmm. uh he's an incredibly good looking yeah. individual. Um I, I recently, well, so back in 2017, I did a ranking of all of Colin Farrell's performances, and then just recently I updated it um because He'd obviously been in a number of films, number mm -hmm. of new films over the years, and uh, and he was in two new ones, um, just you know, just very recently, as you know. So, but looking over that ranking, first of all, you know, I, I got, I was reminded of what a huge career he's had, yeah, um, and also and also the 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 range of stuff that he's done, but but also reminded of just what a wrong foot he went, he got off on because most of the you know you know it's a, it's a ranked list so it starts all the way from the bottom from from all yeah like, yeah goes first film to his best and the early parts of the list is are just full of these like total misfires from the early part of his career where they were yeah. trying to turn him into a star and and you'll see that and i mean the, the the worst film on the list and still the worst colin farrell film i've seen is american outlaws um you know where he plays i think he plays jesse james and um <laughs> it's been a while since i've seen it but the thing i will always remember from it is he looks so good in that movie i mean he is yeah a beautiful beautiful you know and he i mean colin parents all always all, almost always looks great but in american outlaws he looks so good it's like he's animated uh, um, <laughs> and it's and it's funny because you you see that and, and you think to yourself yeah you know like a guy who looks like that of course he should be a star mm -hmm. um and then but then like as over the years as you watch the performances that he's done it's like the the kind of movie star action hero type parts that he's done are the ones where he with a few very notable exceptions he tends to get lost in those mm -hmm. um and over the years i think he has come to terms with that i think he has he clearly has uh incredible self-awareness nowadays given the types of projects that he takes um yeah. yeah i mean it's it's weird because now it's like it used to be many years ago if you saw colin farrell listed in the cast 
you know, a part of you died because you were like, oh, God, this is going to be one of those things where like they couldn't get a Brad Pitt or something. Um, and and now you see Colin Farrell listed and you're like, oh, that that's going to be interesting. Like he's in it. even the bad films that he's in now. Yeah, he's like the best thing in them. Um, and so that's, you know, it's a very interesting career trajectory. It really is. Yeah. Starting out, I was going to say, when you mentioned the worst films, I was like American Outlaws and SWAT, those those first ones where he was still finding his footing and they didn't really know how to use him properly. I mean, you just kind of strike while the iron's hot and take any jobs you get. And he was yeah. playing the game. I mean, he's super photogenic. There's this great line that like Sofia Coppola said a few years ago when she was casting The Guiled. She was asking um, moms at drop off, like, who do you fantasize about? Like smart moms, you know, like who does, you know, a woman in their 40s, uh, intelligent women. And it's all Colin Farrell. And so she knew that was who she needed to get. And so obviously he's a very handsome man. And, you know, he's been in those roles all along. But it wasn't until I started to see, you know, Phone Booth, which is one of the films we're going to talk about today or a home at the end of the world, when he started to take some of these risks or really go for gutsy material that you realize, woo, he actually, there's some stuff here. He's got some real skill. I mean, he was always fun, even in stuff like Daredevil, which was a misfire, you know, but he was just having a ball in that and having so much fun. And, um, you know, kind of whenever he was on the screen, you're, you couldn't take your eyes off of him, but movies are a disaster back then. So I'm glad he found his footing and now he does. He's the draw. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Daredevil is kind of the model almost for what he would do later. Like at the time, Daredevil felt like a a weird, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, it it felt kind of like an exception. I mean, not a good film, obviously, and he's yeah. not even the main villain in it. He's like secondary villain. Yeah. Um, but You're every right. time he was on screen, he might he might even be the tertiary. I don't remember the film that well. But every time he was on mm-hmm. screen, you were like, oh, <laughs> now we're having fun. And then he'd be yes. gone. And it's like the movie just like, slows, <laughs> you know, comes just to a dies. Yes. dead stop. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And and that's actually I have seen a number of films in the past few years where that is the case with Colin Farrell. Um you know, he'll be in these movies and it's, but, but in these cases, it seems like he's almost been cast to steal the show because he's giving such a much more flamboyant performance than a lot of other people. It's weird because yeah. obviously the films, the films aren't aware that they're bad, but for some reason, <laughs> somewhere subconsciously, they've been like, let's put Colin Farrell in this to sort of remind everybody that they're supposed to be having fun. <laughs> um, you know? Um, yeah. Like movies, like, like a movie, like, Ava, um, the, the Jessica Chastain hit woman action film that, you know, mm-hmm. um, that came out a couple of years ago and I think was on the shelf for a little while. But, you know, it's a terrible. Yeah, movie. I think um, you were right. Yeah. But he's fantastic. Uh, yes. He's really good in it. Um, and yeah. Uh, and yeah, and there's like a scene. It's 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 weird because that movie also stars or co-stars John Malkovich. And there's a scene in that film where it's just it's, it's just Colin Farrell and John Malkovich fighting. And it's like the, Jessica Chastain and her problems are completely gone from the plot <laughs> for, for like five minutes. And it's the two of them just, you know, two of our greatest hams just wailing at each other. It's yeah. perfect. And then, and then it's back to the movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so yeah. And something like that happened uh, similarly, I think in um, Guy Ritchie's The Gentleman, which some people do yes. like that movie. I, I did not like it, but um 
but you know, Colin Farrell shows up, you know, he plays this character named coach. Um, and it's such an, you know, like the character is decidedly different from everyone else in the movie. Mm-hmm. And every time he's on screen, it's like, Oh, this is what the movie was supposed to be like. Um, and, yeah. uh, and then, you know, so yeah. Anyway, yeah. Colin Farrell scene stealer. He is a scene stealer. And one of the interviews I was watching for research today, it's like this 40 minute interview. I think it was after the the lobster and he was talking about his career and he was joking about um, some of the bad movies he was in. And he was saying like, he wants to at least do his best because what doesn't feel good is if you run into somebody and you realize, okay, to go out, they had to hire a babysitter. It's probably their first date night in like three weeks. They go. And if they see your movie and it's shit, then they've just like wasted all that money and their time. And you don't want to do that. And he said, so if somebody comes up to me and is like, you owe me 10 bucks, I'd probably give them the 10 bucks and apologize. And so when you're talking about he's going to go all out and I think he really does. Yeah. Yeah. He, he makes it worth it. It's weird. I mean, yeah. you'll watch a bad film and then, but, but like he makes it worth it. And, yeah. and, yeah, like like I said, it's it, that's a reversal from back in the day when like something like Total Recall, yes. um, you know, <laughs> when they tried to remake Total Recall and cast mm-hmm. him in the Arnold Schwarzenegger part, and it was just a, a disaster, just yeah. a lifeless disaster, and he he seemed to have no idea what he, he was doing <laughs> or why he was there. Um, yeah, and it was just it was sad, you know. And yeah. I'm so it's I mean that's actually I think one of the other reasons why we love Colin Farrell so much is because mm-hmm. he's. I don't know if we can say it's been like a public failure for him, but they, you know, they tried to turn him into a star. It mm-hmm. didn't work. He was in movie after movie that didn't work. Yeah. Um, and, and, but somehow before our very eyes, he has found his, his place. And it's not even a place because he still has incredible range. He can do all yeah. sorts of things. Like, like, I mean, he's in after Yang and the Batman and, I can't think of two more different movies or two more different characters or two more different performances. Um, So he's still able to do that. So it's not a case of a character, just like of an actor, like a character actor who finds a niche and just does that. He's still doing, you know, big, important work, but he's like doing it really well. And so I think, we just kind of get the warm and fuzzies when we see him now because he's like, he figured it out, you know, he figured it out and we kind of figured it out along with him. And now he's great. Now we love him. Now it's Colin Farrell, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, once upon a time he had like, he had like the sex tape. I mean, he was always, you know, mm-hmm. seen partying and he, you know, he yeah, was, I mean, he had addiction worried. issues. Yeah. He had addiction. Now he goes viral for, you know, the, the, they see him, you know, we get pictures of him in short shorts, uh, you know, hiking with, Corianka Kilcher and it's yes. like it's just so nice <laughs> yeah know? um yeah, yeah or it's not what we would have expected like in that mid aught period when you were worried you were like you know when he was I don't remember making Miami Vice and yeah right. yeah, yeah. it's a scary time yep. yeah and of, and of course the fact that Miami Vice and the new world um mm-hmm. you know, two movies that we'll obviously talk about today yes but, uh, but, can't wait. Th- th- that those films have kind of become appreciated much more now that helps as well because you it know does. In, in you could argue that those two movies 
career wise were like his low point <laughs> um, because yeah, they were personal. flops. Mm-hmm. They were flops. I mean, he was just, you know, he was a complete mess. I mean, he's talked about yeah. how he went to s- straight into rehab after Miami mm-hmm. Vice and doesn't actually remember making the movie. So, uh, you know, like they were kind of a low point for him in his life. And yet, um, weirdly, uh, they are also <laughs> two of his greatest performances. They so are. what does that say? Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, he's just that good. And he picks good material. Yes, he does. Yeah. Well, going chronologically through our titles, we have the first film that really made me sit up and take notice of Colin Farrell and what feels at times, particularly until Forrest Whitaker arrives on the scene, like a chaotic yet riveting one man show reuniting with his Tigerland director, Joel Schumacher in the 2002 thriller Phone Booth, which was delayed from release for several months due to the DC sniper attacks. The film finds Farrell cast as a cocky and manipulative New York City publicist who is held hostage in a phone booth by a mostly unseen sniper, ominously voiced by Kiefer Sutherland, who gives him an increasingly dangerous series of commands he must follow or else he'll be killed. Caught in a duplicitous love triangle of his own making, involving wife Rada Mitchell and an inspiring actress played by Katie Holmes. Throughout the span of its stressful 81-minute running time, Farrell gets his comeuppance for his deceit and also finds himself in a second line of fire when he draws a crowd and a police presence headed up by a compassionate NYPD captain played by Forrest Whitaker a box office hit in its spring 2003 release that garnered largely positive reviews, particularly where Colin Farrell's performance was concerned. Let's go ahead and kick it off. So Bilga, talk to me about Phone Booth. It's interesting that you say it got largely positive reviews. I, I remember it as a film that people didn't like for some reason, but I, oh, I don't really? know that I, but I don't know that I was necessarily reading the reviews. It might just be the kind of like, you know, the, the the small circle of snotty critics I rolled oh. with, <laughs> some of whom you might know. Um, I think maybe uh, it was dismissed in that among among those folks. But I remember really liking it uh, when I saw it. And, you know, it is it's I mean, the, the description makes it sound like it's like claustrophobic and minimalist. But this is Joel Schumacher. So it is absolutely yes. not minimal. And there's no like he's not going to bother with claustrophobia. This thing no. is just like cutting all over the place. The care, you know, the camera is just like, you know, tracking all over. like, yeah, it's totally maximalist style. There's no sort mm-hmm. of interiority or austerity there's no sense that he's like really trapped in that like he is i mean once the cops come of course it's i mean and before the cops come uh you know a group of prostitutes start like hounding him there's like constant cutaways to the street i mean it is just gonzo stylization Mm -hmm. um i mean the film does everything but put you inside that phone booth but Farrell is is so good like he's so good at conveying that character's just sleazy neurotic anxiety uh that it's it's be- like the claustrophobia is in the performance as opposed to anything else in the film um yeah that's a good thought, point and the thing that um you know his character is super annoying (laughs) and he kind of has to be like Mm -hmm. he kind of has to be because you know the the plot turns on so many sort of unlikely characters 
character choices or or lack of choice. Like it's a totally far fetched storyline. Yeah. And but in order to 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 in order for us to buy it, we kind of have to accept this guy as one not very smart, two um, incredibly selfish, uh, but also kind of um, you know sort of just like a. a a, a little spineless as well mm-hmm. um and i think that he's very good at doing it. like i remember when, when the film first starts you're kind of like oh god this guy is just a complete tool are we really gonna just watch this dude for the next hour and a half yes but he's he sort of needs to be like that in order to sell the storyline of him like he's there and he's he's on the phone and he's not gonna get off or he's not gonna run or he's not it's just it's weird um mm-hmm. And uh, but but he's very good at that. Uh, and and the film sort of works its way towards some kind of, you know, character catharsis uh, in terms of him recognizing that that he's a tool. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's I, I, I it's kind of a delightful movie. <laughs> yeah, it is so kooky. I think with the uh, positive reviews, it was mostly just positive about him. Right. I think mm-hmm. most critics were like, OK, this is so bogus, you know, like this. Yeah. Don't think about it too hard. It makes no sense. But, you know, it's his movie to lose. And he just yeah. completely steps up to the plate and knocks it right out of the park. You know, it is Schumacher. So it's like campy. And at yeah. first, I remember when I was watching it, it was like, well, this is a lot. It's like yeah. too much, too muchness, which is just so Joel Schumacher. Yeah. And, you know, and scale to one to 10, he's going to move it to 200, basically. Yeah. And so like the scene with the prostitutes, it's a little cringy. It's a little too much. Like you're oh, not yeah. sure where to look because yeah. the camera keeps moving. And, and you mentioned the messy cuts, which kind of goes to that old, you know, trick of, you know, messy cuts and not knowing what's going on because he's out of control himself. And so it puts you out of control right with it. But I think it's just, you know, the company of the actors. And like I say, once we're able to get the other people into the equation, especially Forrest Whitaker, you can kind of take a breath a little bit. I mean, it's still stressful, but Um, it's also interesting that this was around the same time as 24. Mm. because it's a totally different thing right. uh, the tv show with Kiefer sutherland his voice but yet it's that you know real time or near real time i mean they're kind of cheating there mm-hmm. and uh, what they're doing with the voice and split screens and yeah anything all the tricks he can like throw at you he's gonna yeah. do it yeah 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 and and it's it's interesting it's a character who really doesn't exist i mean yeah. i don't know i i've known publicists and <laughs> they're not like certain, that but, yes uh, no but but also i've known you know like some powerful publicists in my day they're not, they're not like that i mean um <laughs> and and you know i mean the opening scene is him like walking through the middle of Times square um <laughs> you know like on the cell phone just like yeah. yelling at people and and you know i was just like this idea of publicists that's such an outdated and and weirdly corny like nobody actually <laughs> believes that they're like that um mm-hmm. and i'd forgotten that he was a public and rewatching the movie i was like oh, oh right he's a publicist like like that's sort of how you imagine hollywood agents and and yeah and that, they're not like that either but no, but no. it's like that's you know you kind of imagine like a jeremy piven type you know yes. bag kind yeah. of thing. um but this guy's a publicist and it seems like he's not even all that good a publicist. And he's got the guy that he works for him. who He, he doesn't pay. It's just, it's a, I mean, it, um, it, it shouldn't work. No, 
it but really it works shouldn't. beautifully um, because it's Colin Farrell. And and you know that's the other thing about Colin Farrell is that I mean I, I talked about this. I mean obviously he's he's an incredibly good looking man, obviously, but he's also got a really interesting face. Like he, he's yeah. got one of those. I mean he's one of those actors who like every single part of his face seems capable of moving on its own. Um, yes. I mean he's got the most incredible eyebrows I've ever seen. That can, you know, that, that so thing that people can do right? where, the, the, where the, you know, the, 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 mm-hmm. the, the center of the eyebrows can, you know, <laughs> I don't know, that, that sort of pleading look that people, yes. I can't do it. Um, no. I can't do it. Um, only the far edges of my eyebrows go up. But the, when, when the, when the, when the, you know, the close part of, I'm sure there's a term for this. Um, but like people can do that. But Colin Farrell can do it to an almost comical degree. Like they, they, <laughs> like they go up an inch. And I've never seen anybody able to do that. Um, like in real life or on screen. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's kind of incredible. So he's got this incredibly animated face. He can do so much with it, Um, which is interesting also because later he, you know, some, as we'll discover, other directors actually use him in a very deadpan way, which is, which I find is fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, But he's got, he's just got such an, he's got such a, you know, expressive face that you can, you know, you can build an entire movie around Colin Farrell's face. And that's kind of what this movie is. Yeah. He's very emotionally uh, accessible. He can access a lot and make you really believe it. I'm glad you brought up the eyebrows because my goodness, yes, they are so expressive. And I mean, we're going to get into it with uh, in Bruges where he's kind of playing several different emotions at once and you see them play out like, what he's saying doesn't really match uh, the the face or how mm-hmm. he's taking in information at the same time from the Brendan Gleeson character. And yeah, there's always a lot going on, on under the surface. And this is kind of the first indication of, I mean, Schumacher had worked with him before, sure. but, but knowing how to tap into that and what this guy could do. Yeah. 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 It's really, uh, yeah, it's really kind of incredible what, what he's capable of. Uh, and you know, every once in a while, a, a film a filmmaker discovers that, and, mm-hmm. and and they do wonderful things with it. <laughs> yes, like our next one, which is my favorite Colin Farrell movie, my favorite Terrence Malick movie. So next up, as I said, it is my favorite Terrence Malick film. Although he is a master, so there are a few others just a fraction behind that I adore nearly as much. The film equivalent of a full body swoon, it is the sweeping, sensual, historical drama, The New World, which chronicles the founding of the Jamestown, Virginia settlement and arrival of the Royal English Charter sent to create a colony in the New World in 1607, centered on the relationship between Farrell's Captain John Smith and the inquisitive and adventurous daughter Pocahontas, played by Corianca Kilcher, the Native American chief played by August Schellenberg. The film, which is gorgeously shot by Emmanuel Lubeski, co-stars Christopher Plummer, Christian Bale, Wes Studi, David Thewlis, Noah Taylor, Ben Chaplin, Eddie Marsan, Ben Mendelsohn, and more notable for its focus on historical authenticity and its depiction of the events and particularly the costumes, language, 
and more of its native characters, especially Pocahontas, who feels much more three-dimensional than stereotypical and misogynistic representations of the past. Obviously, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this one because I read your essay, English speakers today, and I was completely blown away. My God, like you read that and you're like, okay, nobody else needs to write about this film. Yeah. <laughs> well, I haven't read that essay in a while. Uh, so oh, <laughs> you might have to remind me what I said. Amazing. But I, do, yes. but I do remember the thing that the, and, and the, the scene around which I built that essay, I remember because that's, I think one of the, I mean, I think that might actually be the best, you know, as far as just scenes are concerned, the best acting job um, Colin Farrell has ever done where they're sort of where, um, they're, they're trying to, you know, she's trying to teach them words and, and they're kind yes. of doing, you know, um, and this, the, the look on his face. Oh my God. At, yes. Where he's sort of, you know, where he's teaching her these words mm-hmm. and he's clearly falling in love, yep. but it's this like weird, like he almost can't believe that it's happening. Yeah. Um, but also you know, and I mean, there's great joy there, but there's also a weird winds of pain. Because um, he worries. Right? What, right? Yeah. Because it's almost like he's, and I don't know if it's necessarily because Malik is trying to say that Captain John Smith would know this, but it's almost like he's like representing like what's going to happen to her and her culture, you know? Um, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a, that's a very Malik thing. Like a character might come to represent something or come to embody something without the character themselves necessarily knowing it. Um just through performance or just through movement or just through a glance or something like that, uh, which is why, you know, he's such a uniquely cinematic filmmaker as opposed to, you know, people will, people will often um, accuse Malik of being a literary filmmaker because there's so much like talking and ruminating and voiceover in his <laughs> films, but it's actually quite the opposite. I think he's probably the most cinematic filmmaker we have working today. Um, but uh but yeah, I mean, Colin Farrell is 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 fantastic in the film. But he's also, I think, you know, he's also used very well because once Christian Bale comes on the scene as John mm-hmm. Rolfe, um, and he's also fantastic. I mean, I actually think the oh new world is, might also be Christian Bale's best performance, yes. or one of them. Um, and the the contrast between the two is remarkable. Um, and, and so it's like Colin Farrell not only gives a great performance, but then the, the memory of his performance after he sort of, he doesn't entirely leave the scene because he comes back later, but, but the, sort of when he leaves the scene and Christian Bale comes up, comes along, like even the memory of his performance changes as you watch the film. It's, it's, it's kind of a remarkable thing. Um, and you know, he has to do so much again, he has to do yeah. so much <laughs> with just his face, even though there's a lot of voiceover, he doesn't actually, we don't get to see him talk that much. Um, no, it isn't a very verbal performance. Yeah. yeah. And that scene that actually is in your essay or inspired it is the one watching it this time again, which I do think it's the best scene in the film, as far as the love story is concerned, because you do see him playing a bunch of different emotions at the same moment. Like there is this apprehensive quality of, I am teaching her something. This might then lead to harm for her, her people, also maybe the end of our relationship or where it could go. 
Um, does she fully understand what I'm saying? Um, also, you know, the idyllic, the, the malic thing of nature versus man and, you know, the motives of man and corruption. And also just the beats that he uses, uh, some of the words, like there are only a few words that he says in that moment where he's like talking about eyes where he doesn't even really make eye contact with her mm -hmm. because it's like he's embarrassed yeah. especially when he gets to mouth or lips i can't remember exactly which one it was but mm -hmm. uh that is like he was almost embarrassed by by saying that to her because it was too intimate yeah. and um you know expressing his own affection for her and what is this dynamic between them and it's really beautiful yeah, Christian Bale's character is just far more open. He's the more verbal of them. I mean, still, it's a quieter performance than usual. It is Malik. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he is, as you were mentioning, cinematic. It really is also just what he does with sound and mm -hmm. the sound of birds, the sound of wind. I mean, it's a whole experience. You really feel it all around you and it's yeah it just completely takes you away i just love this film yeah, yeah it's it's i think in all of malik's films or at least maybe sort of all his latter day films um which by which i mean of course you know like post days of heaven <laughs> um yeah but okay. <laughs> uh, which is weird because it's like he made those two films and then years later he made these others and we think of yeah them as, i think of them as latter day because i was there for years like waiting to see if terrence malick would ever mm -hmm. come back uh and he did <laughs> he did and yep. he came back with a vengeance um but uh but in all those films i think there is a, a point of view uh, or I don't know if it's a predominant point of view, but there's always this point of view of, of people who kind of, you know, are aware that they're in the middle of something that is wonderful that they're, they are going to lose very soon. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. That sense that, that none of this will last. Um, I mean, the idea of the lost paradise, obviously, uh, yeah. is, I mean, he structures all his films around that idea. It really, um, yeah. And it's, a, it, you know, and it's amazing how compelling it still is. Like he keeps doing mm -hmm. it over and over and over. And every time he yes. does it, every time he does it, the motherfucker gets me. You I know, know. Like, yes. um, like I know the formula at this point, but I'm just like, every time he does it, he gets me because it's such a resonant and relevant um idea for for any human i think um mm -hmm. and that's i think that's i think what he's captured which is that uh, this is like kind of the state of humanity which is we find these moments of, of beauty and grace and we lose them and that's kind of life right yeah and and i think something about colin farrell and i don't know if it's because of how expressive his face is um and also almost like the shape of his face where there's this like it's a combination of confidence and melancholy like there's something very sad about his demeanor in so many of these films and some of that's just the way he's act he's directed some of that's the way the character is but i think some of it's also just the way he is maybe um mm -hmm. you know or not 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 necessarily the way he is but just the, the shape of his face there's something sad about the shape of his face there's despite pathos. the joy it might yeah. bring us you know um yeah. And and these filmmakers, because I think man manages to do that as well. Michael Mann mm -hmm. with Miami Vice, because 
again, you know, I mean, Michael Mann is a very different director from Terrence Malick. And yet I think he also captures the sense of, of somebody who's in the middle of something that he knows can't last, that he yes. knows won't last, that he knows might not even be a good thing ultimately, um, but can't help but sort of embrace it, you know, in that moment. Um and so, so that that fleeting quality to these movies and to these stories and to these performances, you know, it's that's one of the reasons why I like I can't imagine other actors being able to pull this part off. I'm sure there are some, but like I can't imagine, and it's not no knock on these actors. No. But um, but like, you know, a Brad Pitt or mm-hmm. or even a Daniel Day Lewis or something like that. I mean, I, I I'm sure these are all, I mean, these are all great actors, obviously. Yeah. Um and these these filmmakers have made movies with these actors, so it's not like they can't, you know, they can't work within this context. But there's something about Colin Farrell that that speaks to this like very fleeting quality of 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 this emotional moment in these films. Yeah, he's the perfect vehicle for that idea of wanting to stay in the present but knowing you can't. Yeah. Uh, this is kind of fitting because today I talked to a friend who happened to be in the thin red line and he okay. was telling me about Malik today. I just rewatched the thin red line last week uh, because I'm actually writing a piece on Elias Coteus. And so when I was doing that, then I, then I had watched the new world and then I was like, Mm -hmm. well, now I got to go back and I got to watch days of heaven. And now I want to watch all of them. Mm -hmm. But there is this great thing about living in the present. But when I was a friend, he was uh, talking about when they were making the thin red line and just what Malik is like, where talking about something and then a butterfly just happens to come right by and he's going to watch it. And, yeah. you know, he wants to live in the present and, you know, there's nobody like him. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I mean, that's uh, Colin Farrell talking about the Osprey, <laughs> you know, like, oh, really? I mean, no, but like, that's the, that's Malik's thing, which is, yeah. you know, he's Animals. immediately distracted yep. by like a bird or something like that. He's a famous yes. bird watcher, I believe. So like specifically birds he's obsessed with. Um, yes. But he's, yeah. I mean, and that's, I mean, that's the, the nature of the film. Like you can, you know, like if you watch the films, you could kind of guess that that's the kind of person that made them. Um, mm-hmm. I was going to say the other actor that I think managed to do that with Malik and and I think has that same quality, although is not nearly as good an actor, is, you know, Jim Caviezel, um, who, yeah. you know, and who has since, you know, gone completely uh, <laughs> off the rails. Yeah. He went on crazy. But um, yeah. I mean, he was always kind of a little nutty, but um, <laughs> he's actually uh, he you know, he also captured that quality in the Thin Red Line. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, a, I mean, that's, Thin Red Line would be an interesting movie with Colin Farrell in the part of, of, uh, of would, Private yeah. Wit. He would actually be really good at it. I mean, he's kind of doing the same thing with John, John I was, Smith, you know? Yeah, when I watched them in quick succession, I was just thinking that opening. Uh, yeah. Of, yeah, it was like, He's in the brig. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It starts off in the brig, you know? Yeah. Um, and we're told that he's like a just a really sort of, rough tough you know bad dude who winds up you know you know in chains constantly and we never actually see that (laughs) like we never they they never come across that way but that's what we're told and there's a sort of very (laughs) wild wild quality to them still yeah yeah i mean you know the new world is just a perfect movie i also love Corianka culture in this she is so good i read that uh she and colin farrell were kind of kept 
purposely apart until they hmm. shared scenes together, which I found really interesting. Um, interesting yeah. yeah, to capture that moment of, you know, who is this other person I'm working with? And I, I love mm -hmm. that idea. Yeah. So he's very organic and wants to just play on emotion and being in the present. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, it's a phenomenal film. And uh, the, the thing I sometimes will tell people about is, you know, when I saw it, so I saw it, um, I first saw it at a press screening um, for a small group of press. And that was back when it was 150 minutes long. Mm -hmm. um, and they actually showed it, uh, it, they were showing it for like awards purposes. It was at the end of the year. Um, and then, uh, and then Malik actually recut it. Mm -hmm. He cut it to 135 minutes. Um, and, and then, it, and then they had another press screening and this time it wasn't a, like just a small press screening for a few critics. This time it was actually um, like an all media. So there's like a bunch of people and then there's like people from outside, you know, so people who like won like a radio, you know, thing. Uh, do they, do they have this stuff anymore? Where you, you know, on the radio, you'd call in, you'd, there'd be a phone number and you'd get a free ticket. Like people do that. Kind of stuff. <laughs> used to do that promotional uh, screenings and stuff like that. I don't know if they do that kind of stuff anymore. I know. Um, but, that's how I saw my first concert. Are you kidding? I won one yeah. of those. Yeah. I great. mean, that's, I used to go to movies like that yeah. all the time. You know, there'd be like a page in the village yeah. voice and you'd tear and then you'd show up somewhere and that you'd wait in line and you'd give it to them. And they'd give you a ticket. Um, and uh, so this was like, seeing the new world with like <laughs> civilians <laughs> um, <laughs> and after the movie oh my god they hated it so much after the Did movie they? you know i walked out into the lobby or the area right outside the theater and there were people like total strangers bonding with each other loudly over how much they hated it like they like th th these people would like go up to random people and they're like, oh, my God, did you hate that as much as I did? And they would talk about it. They were all loudly just like laughing and cackling wow. and shrieking about how awful and terrible the movie was. And I remember I mean, this was I was seeing the movie for the second time at this point. I, I loved it already. And, yeah. I, you know, I mean, Malik is a you know, he was you know, he was a controversial director at the time, especially when he was making films that were um that still had some semblance of popular appeal, like because mm -hmm. Thin Red Line was a war movie. So I remember yeah. I saw Thin Red Line opening day at the Ziegfeld Theater, um, like opening day, first show of the day. So it was like, and I actually ran into a, a, like a high school friend of mine, but it was like the two of us and then a bunch of like middle-aged guys who just wanted to see the first, the new war movie, right? And it's just like <laughs> all throughout the screening, we could just hear the, the sound of chairs yeah. folding as they left as you they know left. as they walked out of the movie um so it was already and thin red line was like nominated for oscars and stuff so yeah. the new world had the uh, you know looked like it was going to be this sumptuous historical epic maybe up for oscars blah 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 and then these people saw it and they were just like what the fuck was that <laughs> um 
And so it was, it was kind of a flop and, but it's been so nice to see it reevaluated over the years. Cause back then, even a lot of people who really liked Malik were kind of like, Ooh, I don't know about this one. Um, Wow. That's the opposite experience I had, which is really funny. Um, Well, for Thin Red Line, I still remember my parents because it was the same year that like, uh, yes, which was like my dad's favorite movie that year. And I remember them renting Thin Red Line and like, he got up like six times to go in the other room because we were uh uh-huh. we didn't see it in the theater the first time unfortunately sure. and um and so i think he finally gave up like midway through and just went and, and uh my mom and i were just completely compelled the whole cool. <laughs> the whole rest of the movie but for the new world uh, on twitter there's usually a question i mean there's always questions sure. going around bait asking like what is your favorite movie going experience or what was an, a memorable one and I usually will talk about seeing the new world. It was on Valentine's day. It was a matinee and I went just a theater across the street, just at like one o'clock I was single. So it was not a romantic thing. It was just a matinee. And there were only about seven of us in the theater and nobody wanted to leave at the end. Now these were probably Malik people. Like I went because I was a Malik fan, but it was so funny. Uh, You know, the credits start going and people got up and we were all strangers. And Uh suddenly we were all talking to each other about this great experience we had. And, you know, wasn't that an amazing film and nobody wanted to leave. I remember like the employees coming in, like, why aren't these people walking out? Because you don't want to leave that dream state. And so it's really funny. It's like, yeah, Phoenix in New York, but you went to a really crowded screening, but I was probably at like the targeted Malik people on Valentine's day who are ready for this type of thing too. Well, But also there's, I mean, there's nothing better than watching one of these films in a theater with an appreciative audience. And I mean, Malik, I mean, I think he's still a divisive filmmaker, but I think over the years, you know, his audience has self-selected. It's a smaller audience now. There's no, I mean, there's no like, I mean, Thin Red Line is just throwing stars at you (laughs) trying to get you to see it. So, um, I mean, it's just, it was asking for it, right? You know, people going to see the new George Clooney movie, you know? Um, And, uh, and, and, you know, I mean, I think, you know, the the, the new world was, was its own thing. It was, it was, it was a challenging uh, proposition, but over the years, I think the Malik audience has kind of, Malik has found his audience and his audience has found him. And that's kind of who it is now. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, but I miss the days of having these kinds of really divisive films in theaters where, you know, you'd go to one screening and people would be like tearing their hair out. And then you'd go to another screening and people would like, it was like, you know, we'd all been through a war or something. I I mean, it's, um, I miss that. I I really miss that. I don't, you know, you don't, you don't see that as much anymore. I mean, you don't see no. that. You don't. I mean, it's not like there are movies left, but but yeah, but yeah you know, it's like <laughs> not that experience that level. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. I miss that experience of kind of uh, the high profile film that just just divides the shit out of audiences. Yep. So there are people who hate it. There are people who love it. 
like people are just like fighting about it. You, you go to a party and someone corners you to talk about it. Like, it just doesn't happen anymore. Also, I don't go to parties anymore, but you know, know. <laughs> but but it's like all these I'm things like that you more popular than I am. Who's having parties? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, it's 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 one of those things that uh, I, I really do I really do miss. And the, the new world yeah. was kind of the pinnacle of that sort of film, I think. Yeah. Well, somebody I know, you. Uh, actually phrased it as like not normal or movies that oh, are yes. quite normal <laughs> when you were writing about our next film, another just phenomenal piece. So I'm going to link to all of these basically oh, thank because you. people I, need um... to read them. But uh, <laughs> next you. up, we have a film that I know is one of your favorites as it is, Absolutely. of course, that of our mutual friend, Blake Howard, and also Katie Walsh, who run an entire podcast dedicated to the film, which is the 2006 big screen version of one of the things most synonymous with Michael Mann's name, Miami Vice, written, directed, and co-produced by Mann, who was an executive producer on the 1980s NBC series of the same name starring Don Johnson and Philip Michael Thomas. The film version features Colin Farrell and Jamie Foxx stepping into their roles as Miami-Dade police department detectives, James Sonny Crockett and Ricardo Rico Tubbs, respectively, going undercover to fight international drug trafficking. The film co-stars Gong Lee, Naomi Harris, Kieran Hines, Justin Thoreau, and more. I'm going to stop there because when it comes to this film, you are the expert and I'm very eager to learn from you. Um, well, uh, Miami Vice, what have I not said yet about my well <laughs> you're the, like the we're doing I, this again yeah <laughs> the thing i will and I've, I've told this story before but but I, i'll tell it again because i think it's relevant um you know i was i i liked michael mann's movies i've i've always liked his movies and you know i was yeah i was there like opening day for the last of the mohicans and stuff um and for he and but but he, his films were always there was often something about his films that was a little off for me. There was, there was a kind of like a certain, maybe at the time I probably would have called it a, a self-importance, a, a kind of grandiosity that maybe sometimes felt unearned, um, oh. you, you know, and like heat, for, for example, like, you know, I, I liked heat, but you know, there are all these like little Dickensian things in heat where it just becomes <laughs> this very expansive movie. And there was a part of me that was like, oh, I just focus on the, the crime thriller. Why am I, getting into the, the why am I getting to the, the Natalie Portman of it all and stuff <laughs> and um and you know even there were even films of his at the time like when I saw Ali I was like oh god what the hell is this I hated it um <laughs> when I saw when I saw uh Collateral I, I was like okay it's you know some of it works some of it doesn't I, again it's like just a little too Michael Mannish for me so for a long time despite the fact that I, I saw all the films I I liked most of them and I often revisited them you know he wasn't like he wasn't like the man for me and okay. and it was actually Miami Vice that changed all that you know I, I saw ah. Miami Vice at a press screening and from that cold open through the movie finally I was like Oh, <laughs> now I get it. Um, like now I get like I was like, oh, all that extraneous stuff that I thought was unimportant to those other movies and unnecessary. Like, like that's that's the stuff like that's yep. what he's interested in. And that's the thing that's making those movies what they are. Yeah. And Miami Vice to me felt like it was almost entirely composed of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was so stylized. 
And it was so such its own thing. I mean, it just completely pulled me into its vortex and just did not let me go until the very end. I mean, just the way mm-hmm. it unfolds, like it's just like it just constantly pulls you. Yeah. Um, and because and because I think the plot is, you know, just a little incoherent, uh, at least the first time I you was watch it, it's a little say, fast. Like gun to my head. I could not explain this right now. If yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can, but yeah. that's because I've seen You've it like seen 300 it times. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is like but, time number three or four, and I'm like, yeah, hey, I get it, but yeah. I mean, but you, you know, though, that like man has, you know, like, I, I mean, there aren't any holes for him. It's just like, yeah, you know, everything is, I mean, there's certain things that are very subtle or bursts of dialogue that you can't really even understand what anyone said, but that's actually yes. like some really crucial thing to the plot. You know, I mean, he does that. <laughs> But I think that also creates, at least for me, like that engages me even further because I'm like, I got to watch even more carefully. And it just kind of pulls me in, not like, not doesn't force me, but just it makes me more interested. It it just because it's like, because the movie's constantly one step ahead of me, it just completely like I'm just completely swallowed up by the whole thing. Um, And after I saw Miami Vice, I was like, oh, wait, I got to like go back and rewatch every Michael Mann movie. And of course, then I went and rewatched everyone. And I was like, all right, this guy is this guy's the greatest ever. (laughs) Um, And it just totally turned me around on his films. But I will say, and I think maybe that's, I mean, obviously, um, uh, The New World had come out and I loved The New World at the time. But but I think Miami Vice was also when I really started to turn around on Colin Farrell. Okay. Even though he had given good performances, because I yeah. remember when I first saw the, when they first released the trailer for Miami Vice, I mean, people were like, "What the hell? Like, what it's is not that? Neon. Like his hair? And it's not yeah." But also, like his hair, what? Like, what is going on? Like, why are yes. they making Colin Farrell look like that? This mm-hmm. was, I believe, after Alexander, right? Um, and you know, I can't remember yeah. when Alexander Ooh. was, but um, but yeah, and um, so uh, so so he was. You know, at the time, I was like, oh, this is a ridiculous choice for this character. Um, and, of course, after my same, actually seeing the movie, I was like, all right, Colin Farrell. <laughs> God. All right, I am, I am, I have been fully Colin Farrell pilled now. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, his, his, um, his chemistry with Gong Li uh, is just incredible. Um, I think it's the you know, I, I think it's the most kind of electrifying on-screen chemistry I've ever seen. And in fact, on wow. Blake, uh, on, on Blake and Katie's podcast, they discovered <laughs> with, you know, it, over the past few months, they've had uh, they've had a number of guests who were actually people who worked on the movie. Like they had Colin Farrell's assistant yes, on, and then they had, yep. uh, and then they had. Um, you know, they, 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 and then they had like I think one of the, the sound people. They, they had a number of people who who worked on the film. And one of the things they said was that you know, for their scenes, for their intimate scenes together, it's like they cleared the set, and it was just like you know, the, the camera crew, <laughs> Michael Mann, <laughs> Colin Farrell, Gong Li, and a bottle of wine, and um, and it just it just created this much more intimate mm-hmm. quality to that to those scenes. And I think they really had great chemistry i think because i think they were kind of in love with each other not necessarily you know i don't i don't i'm not saying that anything happened but like i think they were for the purpose like when they were on on camera i think they were in love with each other and that really comes through in that film um yeah, you can't fake chemistry and boy yeah. do they have it yes 
Yeah, yeah. And you bring up um, Michael Mann in these moments. And I think it was in your piece, you talked about it. Some scenes like start too soon or end too early, and then they go to the next thing. Yeah. And that it's very jarring, especially the first time you watch it. Like you bring up uh, the scene on the highway at the beginning right. where um, a character who finds out like he was an informant and his wife is killed and then he steps out in front of traffic and it's so shocking, but it's like almost over before it begins and you can fully register it. And then we're into the next thing. Or you said, uh, you know, we're in a club and then we're on a different case and we're just kind of chasing down all these things. But yeah, that is what uh, Michael Mann is doing. He's kind of impressionistic. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, there are, moments where it's like okay we enter a totally different movie for a while uh like the whole cuba moment uh of the film it's it's like night and day where you know it's lighter it's brighter uh it's way sexier i mean there's sexy stuff that goes on with uh jamie fox's character of course but it's like a totally different thing and the movie is always changing i was Mm going to ask you actually before i did it i the only edition that I found, um, I happened to find like a used copy, was the director's cut. And, you know, Blake reads me the riot act, like the boat, the boat <laughs> thing at the beginning, it drives me nuts. And, you know, Jen, ignore the boat thing. And so I was going to ask, did I watch the wrong edition this time? I You watched the director's cut, the yes. director's extended edition. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't believe that there is a wrong version of my okay. device. Um, it's all good, basically. It's yeah. all good. You did you did miss the the, the cold open uh, in the club. Which, I remember the club. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, which is which is one of the great openings of any movie yeah. ever. Um, mm-hmm. And and so to 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 miss that to lose that is heartbreaking. But I had um, seen but that. Also, like but that scene time. with but that scene with the boats is great. I mean, I, you can see why he put it back in there because it's clear they spent a lot of money. Yeah, making and you know who these boat guys are. Over. Yep. Yeah, and, and I mean, it, it actually provides really important context. But the beauty mm-hmm. of it is that it actually reveals all the things that the, the movie refuses to do, which yeah. is to provide that kind of context. So it's like you can see why it's there. <laughs> it's gorgeous. It's beautifully shot. There's you get to see more Isaac de Bancolé, which is always a good thing. But then you're like, no, no, no cut it, cut it, cut. It. You gotta cut it. You, you can't. <laughs> you, this is a, kill your darlings, and that is one of the darlings. Um, there is actually, uh, I, I believe, uh, some friends of Blake's have created the ideal Miami Vice yes. cut, uh, which they call the Miami Nice cut in honor of the podcast, which is basically the director's cut, uh, but with the cold open. So you lose the boat thing at the end because actually the director's yeah. cut has some really important and really good scenes uh, that the theatrical release version, which, you know, the Miami Vice heads tend to prefer the theatrical release version, but the director's cut also has much more Naomi, uh, Naomi Harris, and she's great. And there's she a is. lot of really beautiful stuff with her and her mm-hmm. character that, um, that you don't want to lose. So, so actually the, the Miami nice cut, if you can find it and i'm sure you can (laughs) (laughs) because uh, yes many of us can help you find it yes yeah but um but that is probably the ideal version of the movie okay Uh, so we gotta like get somebody to get in touch with blake you know our people call their people and you know release this thing i guess there's also a music cue that is changed at the end but i can't remember what it is blake's probably gonna kill me when he listens it's uh, it's it's uh, it's uh i believe it's um uh, in the air tonight. 
Because I don't like of, the new version. I have to say, yeah, the new version isn't good. I think what happened is, if I remember correctly, at the time, you know, Miami Vice came out. It was not a it was not a big hit. No. Um, and I think among the criticisms was like, where the hell is it in the air? Yeah, um, so synonymous so, with the show. Come on. Yeah, um, and I think in. I hope I'm not misremembering this, but I believe that for the director's cut, director's extended edition, man put that music cue in, but it's like the cover version. So it's like, it's like, it adds yeah. insult to injury. For a lot of <laughs> I like it. I, I don't mind it. I don't, I don't mind that version, but obviously the original, that version yeah. is, it's interesting because that version of the song, I think um, is a good example of how, I think man himself saw this Miami vice and, and it reflects how he saw how Miami that, had changed the tone. Like it reflects how he mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's uh, he would probably use the the word muscular. He likes yeah. that word to describe Miami, like more muscular, like mm-hmm. it's harder. It's, it's, it's not quite as intimate. Um, it's kind of a, just a, just a more alienating edgier sound because it's like the hard rock version yeah. of in the air. <laughs> but, but like what makes Miami Vice so special is that intimate quality of the, of that song. And mm-hmm. I would argue that while man has, is clearly correct about how Miami has changed over the years and his, his film of Miami Vice yeah. is obviously very different than the show Miami Vice, totally different, mm-hmm. but, but, but there are certain qualities it shares, not stylistically, but emotionally, oh, existentially, uh, with the show. That that it's it still shares those things, and I'm not sure he's entirely aware that he's accomplished that. My, I think Michael Mann has a complicated relationship to this movie because I think he, um, you know, I think it was like it was a kind of a troubled production, and then they had yeah. to scrap their ending. Uh, and they're scrapped their final locations and things mm-hmm. because of a variety of things, hurricanes the, those, and a bunch yeah. of problems. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and if you if you <laughs> if you ever find it in your in yourself to, to to listen to every single episode of Miami Nice, eventually a picture emerges of what happened. Oh no. Um, uh, so no, it's just it's just you know the, 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 he had to make some compromises to his vision. Uh, and they weren't necessarily compromises that he wanted to make. Um, and I think he's kind of torn on whether the film works or not. Like, I think he might be, um, it's possible that he's kind of, you know, filmmakers are like that. They, mm-hmm. they, they tend to adopt the, uh, the popular prevailing opinion of their movies at the time that they're released. Like Billy Wilder would talk about, you know, the films of his that flopped as yeah. the failures, mm-hmm. um, and and then you, and then you'd be like, no, no, these are great movies. Like yeah. people just didn't appreciate them at the time. That's their problem, not yours. I know. Um, you know, uh, Leon Vitali, uh, who was Stanley Kubrick's assistant, once told me that um, you know they uh, sometime. I guess it would have been sometime in the nineties, maybe it was the eighties. Um, but but like you know, a British channel had a season of Stanley Kubrick movies and they watched them. He, he and Stanley Kubrick watched them, and, and Stanley Kubrick watched Barry Lyndon. Um, after all these years and he had been, you know, Barry Lyndon had been widely criticized, uh, at the time. And he was very defensive about it at the time. So he had never publicly said anything about Barry. Mm -hmm. Um, but then, you know, he, I guess, watched it on TV when it aired on British TV 
And he said to, I don't remember the exact quote, but he said something to Leon Vitelli, like, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty good. I love it. <laughs> it was like, surprise. Yeah. It's my favorite yeah. film. Um, and, oh. and I think it, um, it, 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 like Kubrick was surprised. He was like, oh, wait, it, this works. Oh, you know, maybe people were wrong. Um, so I think filmmakers can get kind of too, uh, yeah, in. cause and effect and like box office and yeah, the popular. Yeah. Yeah. And other like to them, it's got they're kind of stuck in the they released it. People yeah. didn't like it. Ah, I fucked up, you know, gotta yeah. move on. Yeah. They don't necessarily think that way, but but they're sort of part of part of their impression of a movie maybe is stuck in that, especially sure. filmmakers who are who are also businessmen, you know, yeah. who, who do actually pay attention to mm-hmm. things like box office, you know. Yeah. Um, so I love that this was the movie that really made you reevaluate Michael Mann uh, and his whole career, because he's one of those filmmakers who, just like we talked about with Malik, kind of going to the same thesis again and again Mm -hmm. and revisiting it. And um, that is Michael Mann, essentially. And, you know, even just the digital like this and collateral, like if you watch these back to back, you mentioned the music and that's what kind of kicked it off in my mind. Um, the way he uses audio slave a little right. bit. Audio yeah, slave. it just kind of <laughs> goes right with it. Or Moby, who we hear in Heat, or just the sure. look of the film or that code that he kind of has with his masculine code of, you know, uh, that goes all the way back to like thief. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you really kind of do see a pattern emerge when you start looking at all of these films. And so I love that Miami Vice kind of kicked it off and made you go back. So this is your favorite Michael Mann, I'm guessing. Uh, No, I mean, I think I would still say heat is is my favorite Michael Mann. I mean, I think heat is just, you know, a monumental movie. Um, but this is, you know, this is the, I mean, this is the one I rewatch the most. Yeah, <laughs> um, and, and best probably can be different. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and 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 one day I will probably decide that it's my favorite of his. Mm-hmm. Who knows? I mean, it's just when I watch <laughs> it, when I watch it, I can't imagine watching any other movie. You know? Yeah. There's some films that are like that. While you're watching it, you're like, why did I, why do I ever bother to watch other <laughs> movies? Like, why don't I just watch this for the rest of my life? You know? Um and uh and Miami Vice is one of those films. But Heat is one of those films too. You know, watching Heat, I'm like, uh yeah. Yeah. Why, yeah. It why, pulls you why, in. Yeah. Why should this ever end? Um exactly. Yep. Yeah. Well, our fourth film today was my favorite movie from 2008. Writer-director Martin McDonough's irreverent pitch black dramedy in Bruges, starring a pitch perfect Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleason as two disgraced Irish hitmen hiding out in the gorgeous Belgian city of Bruges while they wait for word from their volatile, unpredictable boss played by Ray Fiennes like a cross between Ray Winstone, Michael Caine, Bob Hoskins, Terrence Stamp, and Ben Kingsley as Don Logan and Sexy Beast, essentially. He's all those rolled into one. Shockingly funny, vile, yet able to sneak up on you with heartbreak and pathos as it reaches its conclusion. It's truly great. 
It garnered Farrell the Golden Globe for Best Actor, Musical, or Comedy over his co-star, who was nominated in the same category. But it's such a vital two-hander between them both that I'm very excited by the news that they've re-teamed with McDonough on a film project releasing this fall. But that obviously will call for a whole different podcast conversation. So for now, why don't you weigh in on In Bruges? Um I did not know that they were they were reteaming. That's incredible yes. news. I guess October. Wow. I don't know what it's about though. Wow, that's that's so awesome. exciting. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, speaking of films that 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 my opinion has changed on, I remember I had to review in Bruges when it came out, and I okay. recall I, I haven't revisited my review. I believe it was for Nerve.com, which doesn't exist anymore. Mm. Um, I probably have a Word document somewhere on, on my computer, but. Um, I remember I was kind of mixed on it. Um, and part of it was that um, it, uh, you know, it's such a kind of far-fetched isn't the word, but, you know, it's such a, um, what's the, what's the, I'm trying to figure out the right expression. I should have read my review. Um, oh, but, you're fine. It's, it's, it's such a contrived story, yes. right? And and it's not it does there's nothing realistic about it like these no. are these are characters out of pop culture right there I mean the the and it's like it's like Tarantino obviously um, you know it's like you know the, the bantery hitman you know mm-hmm. duo who like hit, hit, like assa- real life assassins aren't like this I'm no. pretty sure <laughs> you know and this is such a They're this is such quippy. a film yeah right this is such a film contrivance film world contrivance these kind of Gabby garrulous philosophical you know funny hitmen yeah. who work in teams and you know when they're not busy you know killing people they're having interesting conversations um and uh so to 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 give us characters like that but then to sort of give them this like what felt to me like unearned pathos of well you know he shot the priest but he also shot this little boy on the other side of the of the thing by accident. Mm-hmm. So now he feels guilt. I'm like, none of these things happened. <laughs> you know, like this didn't happen, <laughs> that thing that happened, and therefore this other thing didn't happen. And so, like, I'm being asked to sort of worry about the 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 you know the spiritual moral dilemma of a character that already doesn't exist that you kind of came up with as a as a movie contrivance. Mm-hmm. So like his this shocking, horrible thing that happened to him never felt real to me. Mm-hmm. So, so in that context, I was like this, you know, like, like, yes, the movie is lovely. There's great music. The performances are great, but like, I'm, I'm being asked to care about something that just makes no, you know, makes no sense to me. Um, but, you know, the thing is, though, Colin Farrell is fucking fantastic in it and he makes you care. Yeah. Um, like that's the thing. He he gets it. He gives. He doesn't give a realistic performance. There's nothing realistic about this performance. It's practically commedia dell'arte. It's so exaggerated at times. Mm-hmm. It can be so broad. Again, that face of his. I mean, this movie is maybe the the most expressive his face yes. has ever been. Yeah. When um, you were saying that earlier, I was thinking in Bruges yeah. and all the faces. Yep. Yeah, and like the the. I mean, he, he's still there's still gifts uh from this movie oh, where yeah. it's like you know with him like you know throwing up his hands and stuff like that yeah um so they are cartoons in a sense and he's a cartoon in this movie but he's so good and he's able to um i mean that scene at the end or towards the end 
when he's um when he's crying over uh you know Brendan Gleeson's character has thrown himself off the oh tower God. and mm-hmm. I mean again totally contrived like you know this is not a thing that happens in real life like why should no. I care about this yeah this is totally far-fetched this is utterly ridiculous um but Colin Farrell crying over his friend is so devastating yeah he makes you care um and I, you know, and over the years, I've rewatched this movie multiple times. I love it. It's, it's. There's so many great things about it. I so mm-hmm. like my initial ambivalence toward the movie has has completely evaporated, and now I I love watching it. Um, and uh, but I think that you know Colin Farrell's performance is kind of the key to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, he does a thing where he's a character who you really shouldn't like i mean he's he's kind of a, a complete jerk um mm-hmm. you know incredibly offensive jerk um ignorant <laughs> all of these things also happens to have murdered a child like at what point are we supposed to care for this person and yet we do um yeah you know yeah. like it's it's got a lot going on it is ridiculous but it's also i mean that is taken literally you know, you can also view it as sort of like a Catholic parable, a little Absolutely. bit of, yeah, yeah. heaven, hell, it's and purgatory. Symbolic. Yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, there's the don't look now illusions, like they even say don't look now right. because we have dwarf characters. <laughs> and, you know, uh, also there's a little bit of the third man going on in the end. I, I love the introduction of the Ray Fiennes character like we don't see him until he you know beats the hell out of that phone yeah it's just an amazing reveal I'm big on the way that they introduce characters especially somebody like that it's incredible I think just the the cast is good you really shouldn't care about these people at all I was watching an interview with uh, McDonough where he's talking about how he had taken a day trip like or for a couple days over there. And he's like, basically it was the two sides of my brain. You know, part of me is, yeah, I should sightsee, but I'm so fucking bored. And like, I should do this, but maybe I'll just go get drunk and get laid. And like, you know, so he wanted to do like two different things and just made it two different people, which is kind of an old creative writing exercise, like put two people in the room. One wants to leave, one wants to, you know, stay. Mm -hmm. And so it is, you know, you have these two guys who couldn't be more different, but you also have a father and a son sort of relationship. Mm-hmm. They just work so well together. It is a play we're watching. I mean, that's yeah. kind of all of his films are extremely uh, verbal and there's a lot going on. I mean, it's yeah, it's you're you're laughing so hard at something screamingly funny. And then a couple seconds later, it just like when we find out what's going on or what had mm-hmm. happened with the. Uh, Brendan Gleeson's wife. I mean, mm-hmm. you're just completely devastated. So this yeah. movie has a lot of twists, a lot of turns, um, and it makes you care, as you were yeah. saying, and we should not care. Yes. Well, that scene where um, uh, Ray finds his character tells, um, basically tells Brendan Gleeson's character what his, his mission is. Yes. But he never says it. Mm-hmm. Um, the way he sort of describes the way he, you know, the, the way they kind of talk about Ray, is it Ray, his name, uh, the, the Colin Farrell's character's name? I think it might be. Yeah. yeah. And, but then they start, but then he starts talking about him in the past tense. Yes. Um, it's that and, subtle. Yeah. And, and it's funny because I always forget that it's that subtle. 
Yeah. Like I just, I, I, for some reason in my head, there's a scene where they're like, you're going to kill this guy, you know? And he yeah, never really yeah. says it. Like, it's just like, so it's very subtle and just absolutely, yeah, just incredibly yeah. like chilling, spine chilling. Yeah. Um, and of course that's also because Ray Fiennes is just so damn good. Um, it's something but, like, uh, I'm glad we could have done this for him or something yeah. like that. And you're like, yeah. whoa. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, you know, they're not in Bruges to get out of the, you know, to, to, so that this can be done in some, you know, in some dark corner of Europe. It really is like, oh, yeah, I just I wanted him to have like a nice trip before before yeah. we killed him. A last and, and, <laughs> and the film sticks with that, like his moral code, you know, Ray finds yeah. at the end when he kills himself because he thinks he shot a child. Yep. And it's also, I mean, that, that's such a problematic thing. It's like, yeah. you know, I mean, he still shot a human being. I you know, know like, right? But it's like, <laughs> no, the movie's like, oh no, it was a dwarf, but he thinks it's it was a, a child. Yeah, it's yeah. like, what's the, like, it's still a completely innocent human it's being. It's still a human um, being, yes. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, but the way he kills himself at that, at the end, I mean, that was totally unexpected. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing about this film is that he never, it never quite does what you think it's going to do. No. Um, yeah. It doesn't and I play think, by any rules. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it would be an interesting, uh, interesting double feature with phone booth because, because it is, you know, I mean, this is a yep. much better movie than phone booth oh, uh, yeah. and phone booth is a lot of fun and this is mm-hmm. a lot of fun, but this is a much better movie than phone booth. And, um, but you know, the way the two movies use Colin Farrell is interesting, mm-hmm. but also the way the two movies use voice is interesting I mean, this movie does so much more with voice than Phone Booth, which is a movie all about voice. I mean, Kiefer Sutherland is basically just like a one-note psycho. In, yeah. In yeah. Um, whereas here, it's like, you know, the, the Ray Fiennes' voice becomes this, like, such a, you know, interesting phenomenon in and of itself. I know. Like, when the message comes through, you know, like, fuck uh-huh. me, he swears a lot. You know, like, yeah, yeah. I can't remember if we hear... His. We hear it. Oh, yeah, we yeah, do we hear, hear it. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't see yeah. him for the longest time. Yeah. 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 Well, our final and most recent film today is Greek filmmaker. You got to help me on this name here. Yorgos Lanthimos. Yorgos Lanthimos, uh-huh. The Lobster, which introduces us to a society where single people are given just 45 days to find partners or they will be turned into an animal of their choice. Uh-huh. Starring Farrell as a bookish, slightly out of shape, short-sighted man who finds himself under the gun after his wife leaves him for another man. We follow him first to a hotel where he must submit to all kinds of things in order to hopefully form a match alongside fellow singles, John C. Riley and Ben Wishaw before Farrell escapes and joins an outlaw group called the loners run by Leah Sedu, where coupling is forbidden and he falls for fellow loner, Rachel Weiss. Very original and very disturbing, but artistically singular and hard to forget. I'll let you start us off on The Lobster. Um, the Lobster was, I, I think it's the first time that that the, um, the, the deadpan qualities of yeah. Colin Farrell's uh, you know, persona were, were used. Um, I mean, it's, you know, Lantimos, I think this was his first English language film and, uh, it was, it's, it's, you know, it was really a revelation to see, Mm -hmm. first of all, I mean, you know, Colin Farrell, 
chubby <laughs> um which of yeah, course he still looks yeah. amazing i mean it's like first he does like, oh my god Colin Farrell gained all this weight i'm like yeah he still, <laughs> he still looks i would kill to look like that still um <laughs> but uh but you know i mean the the way that the film uses his ability to be completely still and yet be utterly transfixing mm-hmm. is um and I, I mean Lanthimos also uses this in Killing of a Sacred Deer in a I believe whose tone is much different um but uh but yeah I mean it was really a revelation uh to see Colin Farrell do this because it it shows you I mean, this is really range. It's not just he can play different characters, but like he can play like a completely different form. Like he can be in a completely, you know, a style of filmmaking that, you know, is completely other than what he's been doing yeah. so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and and when you see him in something like this, you just think to yourself, he can he can exist in so many different worlds, like so many different cinematic worlds, Yeah, you know? Um, and the fact that he was so all in on this and then the killing of a sacred deer. And I think, you know, he and Lantimos are trying to work together again. And I mean, it's just, it's so, um, you know, it was really exciting for, to see him in this. And he's so, uh, you know, and, and, and the film knows how to use him because it doesn't just let him, I mean, the deadpan stuff is, is great. And the film is, you know, I mean, it's, you're watching an absolutely monstrous dystopia, but it's so funny the way it unfolds, yes. the way it just uses that surreal. Um, it's not, I mean, surrealism, but also kind of just the sheer absurdity of how it works and the way it's cut together. I mean, is that great? Um, you know, the first time it cuts to them in, in the, in the bus with their rifles <laughs> yes. just up until that point, it's just like, once it cuts to that, you're just like, you can't what help but watching. Yeah. 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 And it's just like with each scene, the whole thing just gets crazier and crazier and crazier. Yeah. And, but it's so controlled that you, you just in the, the crazier it gets though, the more you feel like you're in the hands of a master filmmaker like it never, it never gets control. It's never, it never goes crazy where you're like, oh my God, what is going on? I have no idea what's happening. Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't want to be here anymore. It's like, oh, this is really leading me towards something interesting. Um, and, uh, but then, you know, every once in a while, it really uses again, that plastic quality of his face, his ability to, to convey so much with his expressions. Um, you know, when, when, uh, when that, when the heartless woman, uh, I believe she's called, oh my uh, god, you know, kills yes. his brother, brother who, has, the dog. Know, who is yeah. who is a dog, um, and you know when he's trying to be completely deadpan and he goes into the bathroom and he's like crying and he's like, no, yeah. th- these aren't these aren't tears. I was just washing my face, and I mean it's just hilarious, yeah. but it's also heartbreaking. Yeah, um, and uh, and it's like the film sort of breaks a little bit at that moment, just to sort of show us the character breaking. So you realize, oh, you know, like we're we're in this world of just like zero emotion, but emotions still exist. You know, like it's not yes. that emotions don't exist. Like it's not like we're watching a movie where emotions don't exist. We're watching a place where emotions don't exist, but emotions do exist in this world. And every once in a while they break through and it's incredible. Um yeah. So yeah, I, I I love this movie. Every time I watch it, it just gets greater and greater and greater. 
yeah, we're watching him operate on a number of levels in character. We're watching like thinking happen, which is a hard thing to accomplish. And um, I mean, there are moments where, you know, it, the one exactly what you mentioned it at the beginning you are and you said it gets progressively weirder with every scene where you are just completely dying for this man it's so lonely and it's so tragic initially and then you know like when he gets checked into the hotel and it's you know only whole sizes of the shoes and you're like is this funny? And when you're first watching it, you're like, I don't know what's going on. And then he's trying on different personas out of loneliness. And it's going into the melancholy and the pathos, the humanism that we have, uh, that he is so easy, um, or he can easily access as an actor. And it works really well, because he changes several times throughout this movie, like as, as you were mentioning deadpan as it is and as absurd and funny and shocking as this movie is, he goes through a lot from start to finish. He's a different person by the end of it. And yeah, it's surprising. It sneaks up on you. You you're all of a sudden realizing, uh, you know, this is crazy and I'm laughing and should I be laughing? And then by the end of it, wow when did this suddenly become super moving yeah yeah and it's it's you know and it's so allegorical clearly i mean there's so many things about it where you're like i mean as as crazy as this world is you know you're like it it does feel like it's almost a reflection on i mean the the you know i mean it's it's a it's a great metaphor for you know how you know coupling works where you're either like (laughs) completely in in the world of couples or you are just like cast to the walls Uh, and this idea that there's that these two worlds never meet i mean it's a silly idea but that's how life is sometimes you know and how you feel sometimes yes yeah it was weird how like you know once i got married it was like harder to see my single friends Mm -hmm. not because like i didn't want to see them but because like i was doing things with couples you know and then yeah yeah you're in that couple vibe yeah yeah and i don't even know that that this is what lantimos was was going for but that's absolutely there's something very true about you know, the utterly absurdist world that this film presents. Um, And, uh, and so you can kind of imagine how he came up with it, you know? Um, Yeah. Or the idea of, Oh, sorry. I was going to say of you like losing your identity or changing to fit whoever you happen to be with at the moment, you know, that happens sometimes in relationships. I mean, Jane Fonda was famous for saying that with each man she was with there for a couple decades, she was a different person. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the, you know, and the, the bitterness he still has when he, um, when he, uh, when he reconnects with, you know, when he, when he like, when he like joins the resistance and, you know, he <laughs> finds Ben Wishaw and, oh, and, his, and, his, and his wife. And he's just like, yeah, he's not, he doesn't really have nosebleeds. Like, it's like that, it's like he had to sort of, he had to let him know. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah. And, and it's, I mean, the film is so good and it feels so true that like, I almost have like, like a anxiety attack watching it, you know, mm-hmm. start to break out in hives. <laughs> as absurd as the whole thing is you're like this is actually it's this is actually so way yeah. too yeah way, w- like way too close for comfort you know yes. it's just so incisive about human emotions and just the way human relationships work sometimes um yeah. and and that sense like that ticking clock sense 
in that in the hotel mm-hmm. where like you have two weeks and then if you don't you're gonna get turned into an animal uh, i mean I just know. crazy um <laughs> yeah watching it in, uh as a single woman in the middle of the of a pandemic was like holy shit oh why God. did you do this bill again no <laughs> oh, was, was this your first time seeing it <laughs> no no okay. but like revisiting okay. it for the first time yeah. in years yeah yeah because i remember liking it but then watching it again i'm like oh my god yes <laughs> It's every time I watch it, yes. I'm like, whoa, this so movie is unsettling. way more realistic than I thought it yeah. was, you know? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, it seems yeah. so abstract, but you're watching it. Just the entire cast is so good. Olivia Coleman is Olivia great. Coleman, what she can incredible. do with her voice is is always good. Rachel her Weiss, ability, God, yeah, they're her, all good. Her ability to just be like this totally official. Yes smug calm weirdly <laughs> compassionate but totally heartless yeah. um oh just she's so great and just so many she's layers good. i mean i think i do think lantimos is a great director of actors i think he's proven that with his films now mm-hmm. um but uh i i you know he's one of those filmmakers clearly puts a lot of work into these things uh and and we love that but i'm kind of mm-hmm. like i would love to see just like a new movie from him every year you know <laughs> Um, but, unlike you know. anything else that's out there yeah 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 mm. a, a true original as they say yeah well obviously those are the ones we chose all we had time for so i don't monopolize belga's entire <laughs> evening uh but in over 20 years Farrell has made many other great ones including some of the ones we referenced along the way for those listening who might still be catching up which other films would you recommend that they seek out Oh, um, well, uh, I mean, you know, I think he's really good in the Batman, <laughs> okay. um, as, as, as the penguin. Um, but you know, it's like, that's the thing it's, you know, he's under just so much makeup. Um, so it doesn't actually use those classic qualities of his face, but he's actually, he does great things in it. You know, people love after Yang. I didn't love it as much, but he's very good in it. Um, okay. and I'm, I should probably see after Yang again, but you know, there's, um, I mean, he's great in Killing of a Sacred Deer. Yeah. Um, he's great in uh, Miss Julie, uh, Live oh, All yes. adaptation of Miss Julie. Uh, he's playing opposite Jessica Chastain. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's very good in The Beguiled. Um, yeah. Oh, such a couple great of lesser known films. Yeah, a couple of lesser known films. He I, He's great in... Uh, Peter Weir's The Way Back, which I believe was the last film Peter Weir made. I haven't made. seen that in ages, but yeah, that was good. Uh, yeah, and I think, um, you know, Peter Weir kind of like sort of retired, I think, afterwards. So that was the last film he did, I believe. Mm-hmm. You know, our friend Blake is yeah. in the process of resurrecting the Peter Weir filmography with, you know, right Master, and, yeah. Master and Commander. So, um uh and uh he's great in neil jordan's on dean um that was a good film yeah yeah. he he, you know he and neil jordan i feel like that's a that was a good match and i'd I'd be curious to see them work more Mm -hmm. um you know two irishmen (laughs) um (laughs) you know one thing i have not seen yet well actually i think colin farrell is actually great in uh the second season of true detective which was a controversial season and I believe kind of a controversial performance, but I thought he was fantastic in it. Um, I have not yet seen the Northwater, uh, the show, the whaling show that he does. Did you know about this? No, this I didn't. Colin even know. Farrell oh as gosh. a whaler. <laughs> um, uh, Buy me the up. Northwater. Sure. It, it, it's it's. 
I, I, I mean, it's just like totally under the radar. I still haven't seen it. I know it exists. I've known it exists for a while. It's like on my list. I'm just so bad about watching TV shows that me too. it just takes me a while to commit yeah. to one of them. And I know this is going to be one that I, I mean, I'm just like obsessed with whaling. I'm obsessed with the sea. <laughs> I'm obsessed with sailors. I'm obsessed with Colin Farrell. Um, it's Andrew hit with all those directed. targets. Yeah. It's just, it's, just, it's like, it's just like created in a lab for me. And yet I I've know. somehow not watched it. Yeah. Um, His name is very Linden. No, I'm just kidding. But. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so so that's one I'm looking forward to seeing. Um, and uh, yeah, no, he's. I mean, you can kind of kind of can't go wrong with him these days. I feel no. like. Um, I mean, there was a there's a you know for my list to update my list, I I, I watched this movie um, Voyagers, which came out I think last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was last year. Um, and um you know it was a pandemic release i'm pretty sure and i I don't even know if it technically was ever in theaters but um it's a sci-fi film uh about a group of about a mission to another planet that humans are going to colonize have you seen it no have you seen voyagers um it's uh there's a it's a mission to another planet that humans are going to colonize but it's going to take so long that uh they send out um a, a space it's a big space mission like 60 people or something like that and it's all kids mm-hmm. uh and oh, wow. a- along the way they are going to reproduce and it's like their kids uh are going to be the ones who actually make it to oh interesting uh, to so so the, these kids are they're going to you know, live and die on this space mission. Okay. Um, and Colin Farrell is the adult sent with them. Uh, okay. So, so he's like the, 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 the sort of very calm. Uh, I don't know if he's a, I don't know what his actual profession is. If he's like a psychiatrist or somebody, some other sort of scientist, um, but he is kind of overseeing this mission. And initially the kids are being given, um, uh, they're being given some kind of medication to kind of, quell their hormones and like quell mm-hmm. their uh uh you know to, to basically keep them yeah. emotionally in check um and then of course they realize they become teenagers and they realize they're being given this and they stop taking it and the, the whole everything goes <laughs> it basically turns into like you know lord of the flies but like yeah. with, with 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 more sex um yeah. and uh, i mean by this point no spoilers, but Colin Farrell's character has made his exit from the movie. But okay, for yeah. a while, but like, but like for a while, the idea that of all these characters, like Colin Farrell is playing the sort of the calm, rational, <laughs> responsible one. I was mm-hmm. like, wow, we've come a long way, haven't we? From Colin Farrell, <laughs> like, like once from upon a time, Miami Colin Farrell would have been yeah. one of those kids, you know, yeah, uh, just going crazy on that ship. Uh, wow. But now he's just like the calm, you know, the calm. Uh, you know adult figure of authority um so i thought that was interesting he's very good in it i mean the movie's yeah it's not great yeah. but um but it's kind of worth seeing for him alone um yeah so yeah yeah well it sounds interesting Bilga, i want to thank you so much for doing this it was just such a joy i always learn so much so yeah true pleasure thank you thank you so much always happy to do this I also want to thank everyone for listening, especially my patrons who support the show and help fund my research, equipment, film rentals, 
RSS fees, and more for as little as a dollar per month at the Film Intuition Patreon, which is the home base for the show. Other ways you can support the podcast are by sharing, reviewing, and subscribing to Watch with Jen wherever you get your podcasts, and also checking out the cool merch store hosted and created by our talented logo designer, Kate Gabrielle. You can find the merchandise store, including shirts, tote bags, stickers, and more by visiting filmintuition.com and clicking on the shop link. The show's theme music is solo acoustic guitar by Jason Shaw and is available in the free music archive. You can also reach me or interact with Watch With Jen anytime on Twitter, either at Film Intuition or our Watch With Jen account as well. Well, until next time, please take care and happy movie watching. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.